podcasting from Aubrey's living room with a little bit of wine and cheese board, of course. This is Bitchin' at 9.30, where we bring our unique perspectives to topics ranging from today's news of politics, culture, and our own personal lives. And we're your host, Adriana Marilyn Aubrey. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Nikki for joining us in another episode of Bitching at 930. I'm Adriana. Aubrey. And Marilyn. We have a lot to cover tonight, y'all. We'll be talking about where the two front runners, Vice President Joe Biden and current President Donald Trump, stand on immigration. We'll also be discussing what the ICE detention center looks like in the wake of the coronavirus, as well as farm workers continuing to work during the wildfires, and what it looks like for new citizens voting in their current disenfranchisement. Uh, franchisement, sorry, of the U.S. Native population. Um, But first, as always, let's get into some hot topics. I think the biggest thing, and I am not smiling, (laughs) (laughs) even if it sounds like I'm smiling, I am not smiling, you all, because I would never, you know, smile about this. Um, But Trump has Rona. Yeah. Also not smiling. (laughs) internally smiling (laughs) you know the irony of it all you know it's the irony but also just how everything went down and now he's back in the white house still has covid you know has covid and yeah i mean he was service workers yeah, I mean, to give a timeline to people, so on Saturday, September 21st, I mean, 26th, sorry, Trump hosted a ceremony at the uh, White House Rose Garden to announce, you know, the nominee, um, Amy Coney Barrett, who we talked about in last week's episode. Um, and so there were guests at the White House Garden, many guests not wearing face masks. Um, some were also photographed together indoors. And at least eight people who attended that ceremony, including the, pre- the uh, president of the first lady, have tested positive for the coronavirus. Later that night, Trump flew to Pennsylvania for an outdoor rally. So you think about the amount of people infected that way. Then Tuesday, he attended uh, the presidential debate, which <laughs> if any of you were watching was a shit show in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was reported that members of the Trump family and other guests um, did not wear masks in the debate. Um, despite being asked by the Cleveland Clinic to do so. Um, And also the moderator, Chris Wallace, uh, said on Fox on Friday that Trump wasn't tested before attending the debate because he arrived late and said organizers relied on the honor system. Man. (laughs) So you just like think, and then there was many other events like that happened on the South Lawn that happened in New Jersey on Thursday. So you're talking about like a week of Trump traveling when the first initial event, eight people left there testing positive. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And, and he's just like the first point, right? That we're working off of. I was watching Trevor Noah yesterday talking about this and he was saying how um, 30 plus members of, of Trump's close team have tested positive. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's not just those 30 plus Everybody that they've interacted with, we all know this administration is not taking this seriously. And it's like, how many people have they spread it to now, you know? And what are the implications, right? It's like, are all 30 people going to miraculously just heal out of nowhere? Or how is it going to impact them and their families? And 
maybe if it hits a little closer to home, they'll change their perspective. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I would wish, I would, I would even hope that like maybe him testing positive would change his tune, but he even tweeted yesterday, like learned so much about coronavirus um, and believes he might be immune to it. And even said one thing that's for certain, don't let it dominate you. Don't be afraid of it. You're going to beat it. And I keep thinking of those people who've lost their lives and how Mm -hmm. disrespectful those few sentences are like, Mm -hmm. don't be afraid of it don't let it dominate you you think people just left all willy-nilly right but it's also like he has gotten the best medical attention this country has for free best you know everyone else who is even fortunate enough to have health care is told to come back to the hospital when they're dead yeah so i remember like what was it marilyn i was like late March April Mm -hmm. yeah late March early April I'm showing symptoms like actual symptoms are listed on the CDC's website like eight out of ten and I can't even get a test literally Mm -hmm. the only thing was my throat wasn't closing Mm -hmm. but I had chills bodies aches like and I couldn't even get a test Mm -hmm. and you think about this man who just operates so clear like carelessly and then left wasn't even in there for five days and left no and we all know covid lasts longer than five days in your system Mm -hmm. yeah so now i'm thinking about all the white house workers that work there who are now at risk because the guy they work for right and i'm not even talking about like the people that he hired like he hired it's like people who Mm -hmm. continuously work in the white house who are continuously on that payroll like the wait staff people who pick up their trash like those are people who now are at even more risk mm-hmm. because Trump and Melania decided, well, we don't have to be afraid of it. We're not mm-hmm. gonna let it dominate us. Like, well. Yeah. I was watching the video of, of like the Rose Garden at that ceremony. I don't watch it for too long because I can't hear the man speak. But um, <laughs> there, it's like, we've definitely hit a point where people aren't, contained within their homes the way well some are but people are not in general including myself contained the way we were in March and April etc but do you walk outside of your house with a mask when you're when you know you're going to be a lot of, around a lot of people are you at least six feet away from people in that rose garden everybody was next to each other and most didn't were not wearing a mask because it's almost like they think they're invincible to it. You know, I know that I'm taking a risk by stepping outside with a mask with six, 10 feet of distance every day, but I'm at least trying, right? I'm putting on my hand sanitizer. God knows if Trump uses hand, uses hand sanitizer or not, but um, I don't know. I'm just asking. I don't know. Cause I honestly <laughs> real long y'all. And I thought this stuff washed mm-hmm. off after a point, but you know, Mm. but it's the carelessness of it you know and there's been a thing about oh my gosh totally saw this too um the oh my god oh my god Rashida Tlaib Yana Presley AOC uh Ilhan Omar um I believe AOC tweeted it at least I saw it about um people coming for Trump and his family, specifically Trump, 
with the coronavirus and kind of wishing death on him. And uh, Twitter um, created some type of like, I don't know, restriction or something. Aubrey, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, they created, now they created guidelines that I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen, but I know it just states that like you cannot wish death upon anyone. Yeah, that's real convenient. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So the four, right? What are they called? The four. Some, I don't remember their I'm name. The Something with the four. <laughs> women of color, Congresswomen said when we were getting death threats, where was Twitter backing us up? And it's like Adriana said last week, it's that white male privilege, the way it rears mm-hmm. its head. Like, I'm not saying we should sit there and wish death on the man. But we all know death threats are coming to communities and leaders of color. And it does not matter. And all of a sudden, we're going to protect this man again, Twitter. Like, let me not go off on a tangent. But anyway. For real. The king of hate speech is now being protected against the hate speech. Like, when mm-hmm. he's the number one inciting it all. But you know, Twitter, do you, boo? Do you? Terrible. Do you know? Well, speaking of Trump, um... We all know there's an election coming up. Um, And I think, you know, today's topic, talking about immigration, I think it's important that we talk about um, where President Trump, as well as Vice President Biden stand um, and their efforts to, one, maybe allow immigrants to this country or not. I mean, um, we all know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely true. Um, um, I know President uh, Donald Trump's efforts have really been to like reduce illegal immigration and to replace it, uh, well, and to replace like family-based legal immigration with a system based on individual merit. Um, and that's kind of been like, I think a significant campaign issue for 2020. Um, mm-hmm. I know a lot of Democratic nominees and a lot of third party nominees have made this like one of the forefront issues in their campaign. Um, a lot of people don't know where like these two candidates stand. Um, and I think it's like some really important things that where they stand at and also understanding that like Democrats don't also mean like they're all for immigration. Um, and so like, what does that look like, right? So we're talking about coronavirus immigration restrictions. Um, during the pandemic, Trump has restricted the entry of many foreign workers and immigrants seeking green cards for permanent residency. He's also implemented a public health emergency policy that allows US officials to rapidly deport migrants caught at the US-Mexico border, including unaccompanied minors and asylum seekers bypassing standard legal processes. Um, Biden has said that he'll pause the deportations for a hundred days after taking office. So just a hundred days is when he'll pause that. Um, but he's not yet said if he would immensely reverse Trump's sweeping pandemic related restrictions. How do you feel about that? It's a lot taken. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's both not surprising and infuriating at the same time. Definitely. Especially, I think, him just, like, stopping people at the U.S. border in Mexico. Like, these aren't immigrants. These are migrants, and these are asylum seekers. So these aren't even people that, you know, would fall under that status of immigration. And it's a whole different process when dealing with those different groups. 
and just right. like completely bypassing it. And I think of, you know, Trump's promises um, and his continued rhetoric to like build the Mexican wall. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if everyone remembers, but that was it's like fun. the main rhetoric of his 2016 campaign. <laughs> um, build that yeah. fence. Mm-hmm. Build that fence. That's what um, it is. Did he have complete that fire. project? Is it, does it no. just end well, somewhere? Anybody know what happened to his fence? Yes, so <laughs> <laughs> I do. The administration um, has completed 275 miles of the border wall, but the goal is 450. They planned, wow. they planned to reach that by the end of the year. What? <laughs> <nearly> all those, <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> by the way, guys, since we don't know, it's October 6th, so <laughs> three months. Um, but nearly all of those barriers replaced uh, existing structures. Um, and Mexico has like refused to build the construction. So it's leaving the US government to fit the bill with billions of dollars from Pentagon funding. That means billions of dollars from our international budgets. Mm. Wonderful. Yeah. <sighs> But Biden said he wouldn't tear it down. He would just stop. From so and it, was I, still, <laughs> it, it was when you said, you know, Biden, um, Biden agreed to like pause for 100 days on Trump's policy. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, is it because they're trying to appeal to a moderate base, right? Like, are you like trying to come up with what sounds good right now um, to kind of please quote unquote both sides? Like mm-hmm. I'm, I've been ruminating on why a hundred days? I would say yes, if there was, if there was an other immigration policy that Biden has completely gone like totally against Trump on, like the travel ban, he's, come out and said that like he would completely reverse it so there are some things when it falls under immigration for trump that biden would completely go the opposite route um so i think it's more a matter of like where he actually stands i don't think it's appealing to any voter i really think this is like where he stands on the issue as far as it comes from like the u.s border and um the current restrictions when it comes to coronavirus It's hard because Biden is such a moderate, you know, Mm -hmm. and I know that we are not electing someone who is perfect. He is far from that, but there's still the hope that he can not only stop, but reverse policies that Trump has put forth, including the wall. And maybe is it because it's going to take just as much money to tear it down and like, there's pause yeah. on that, like the funding and where that's going to come from. I don't know. That could, mm-hmm. Yeah, that could honestly be a possibility. I mean, he also does plan to end all separations between, um, you know, family members and their children at the borders and reunite those families that are currently in ICE detention centers. So yeah, there's, there's probably some stances that he's at that like there's more rationale behind it. Right. I don't know. <sighs> I'm thinking about um, when we talk about immigrants, um, 
I feel like there's a like because of rhetoric people put a face to who the immigrant population in the United States is and there's a video by Joyce from oh my god she's uh, from BuzzFeed and it's about immigration you may or may not have seen it but she talks about how um and Adriana correct me if I'm wrong on this but I can't remember um aren't most immigrants in the country black I don't black or (laughs) I but I know she's from Haiti and she was talking a lot about um Haitian immigrants and I also you know predominantly grew up in Miami and I know there's a huge Haitian population there but um I'm wondering like what other countries um specifically like black countries folks are coming from because uh, I feel like often like immigrant the immigrant conversation does default to like Mexico and there's mm-hmm. immigrant populations from mm-hmm. everywhere. And we all know that across the lines of like power and privilege, white immigrants are, are afforded different rights than black immigrants and indigenous immigrants, et cetera. So I'm, I'm thinking about when we're talking about immigrants, who are we talking about and what, what those communities look like, you know? Yeah, well, I was talking about my community and for those who, mm-hmm. who just new to this, I'm black, I'm black, the black, black. So my family's immigrant, yes, but, um. For Black countries, I think I'm more referring to like Caribbean countries and West African countries where majority of those populations are coming from. But you're right. Like I I remember um, in 2018, there being a story about there being um, more deportations for Black bodies than any other immigrant group in the United States. And majority of those were Haitian, mm-hmm. right? But like we're not a part of that conversation and we're not the face of that conversation. And it does become very limiting because when you think about not only like the oppression of being an immigrant, but then like the other systematic oppressions that come in with just being a different skin tone and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. It's like the way that I'm reading it or the way I'm, I'm thinking about it, it's like um, the face of an immigrant looking more like what folks would like Mexican or like quote unquote Latino which we all know is incorrect if you don't know maybe that's a whole another episode um but (laughs) it's a bonus episode girl okay Latinos come in every color okay Latinx for some some are rejected oh my god um god I lost my thoughts god damn it it's gone I just thought of you know what I think of when I think of like how Biden thinks about race and oh, <laughs> I feel like you remember those like um those um photos you would color with all those children holding hands in a circle and you would color mm-hmm. in a certain shade mm-hmm. I feel like that's all he does and he's like okay so the yellow oh my people God. are white and then <laughs> <laughs> like, the peach crayon use the peach crayon the oh, peach man. crayon is <laughs> and the brown one is middle eastern and the black one is mm-hmm. the black people and that's it and it's like there's more diversity. Diversity, Biden. I know not all white people have the same skin tone, so I don't know why you think that mm-hmm. other groups wouldn't have the same thing. Like, no, no, no. I remembered where I was headed, which was that Black immigrants are invisible, right? Like, when we think about the face of immigrants in this country, we're not thinking of Black immigrants who are 
like Adriana was saying, you know, uh, disproportionately impacted, affected, deported, criminalized, etc. So it's like, I just want to hold that because I, I often feel like the immigrant conversation defaults to what folks think is like the face of an immigrant and like immigrants come in all shades from many different yeah. places, you know? Yeah, and I think honestly all sides do that because a lot of times when we're talking about black issues, we're not very rarely, I can probably like count as many times in my hands our immigration issues talked about. Mm. It's, it's really the reality. Mm-hmm. So, thank you for holding that space. I think it's yeah. completely valid. Yeah. Sorry, there's a fucking motorcycle. <laughs> you know, it, I, I, random like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? When you're a tangent again, again, like growing up in Miami, when we're talking about immigrant populations there, and uh, two big pools being Haitian and Cuban. And like you think of like wet foot, dry foot and the privileges that Cuban folks who are now, you know, a huge conservative voting block within Florida uh, specifically. Um, and again, like the privileges that Cuban immigrants compared to Haitian immigrants um, have like experienced coming to the United States and navigating these systems and like the way that um, folks have been able to like certain communities certain immigrant communities have been able to prosper you know in 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 a lot of ways that other communities um haven't been and so there's a lot of like indigenous and black invisibility in that and like it's just Mm -hmm. it's like every time you go back to the conversation of like race right and color and like the country that you're coming from it's like it just deepens the conversation Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think we saw that with Trump and his travel ban, um, banning entry from immigrants from certain countries, right? Like there were no European countries listed, yep. um, seven Muslim majority countries, and then also placing a restriction on additional six countries, um, including Nigeria and other African nation- nations. So like, we know who's a part of this conversation. It's intentionally to one limit their accessibility and their ability to the one engage in the conversation but also to be like your voice and your body doesn't matter Mm -hmm. we know these communities existed Mm -hmm. they continue to exist you know Mm -hmm. but it's like what narrative are we tying to that so like muslim community you're immigrant but you're terrorist right and then like you have latin x showing like the ideal latinx being Mm -hmm. you guys come here and take our jobs right and then you have the black immigrants coming from west african countries in the caribbean getting the narrative of you guys just are lazy and don't want to do anything and and live in huts so like there's there's a narrative tied in with all of it girl where we are like clearly saying like your life your body your experiences don't matter and it's like within like um within all of those communities like um one moment perch stop stop i'm picking up his whining on the fucking audio within all of those communities 
how um, when you're vying for resources against each other and like those narratives are replaying in the media, replaying from the administration, replaying from systems of oppression and white supremacy, how those communities are now against each other, right? Like Mm -hmm. the Dominicans against the Puerto Ricans, against the Haitians, against the Mexicans, Mm -hmm. against the, you know, Muslim countries, like um, whatever it is, it's like, now we're all fighting against each other and vying for this resources, vying for this privilege of the promise of the American dream, you know, the promise of like moving to America and, and being able to like do better for your family, you know, to feed your family. Um, and, and it's like, you can't pull that away from the immigrant experience, you know, folks aren't migrating um, because their countries are safe or because their, their countries um, allow them to prosper and allow them to like survive. But then mm-hmm. even come to come to the United States, it's like you're still walking straight into another violent system. Yeah. And that's uh-huh. even if you make it here, given like what's happening with these detention centers. Um, and I think like we hear the horror stories about families getting separated. But, you know, I think one thing that hasn't been highlighted a lot is what's happening with these unreported COVID cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Marilyn, you were talking about this a while ago, is like in these hysterectomies, right? Like these communities are still being harmed to a level that's shameful. Like this is not <laughs> this is not the land of dreams when you're being detained, you're being separated from your families, you get brought into these detention centers. And there was a nurse at the Irwin County Detention Center in Georgia. Um, who spoke out about a dangerous medical practice at an immigration and customs enforcement facility amid the corona, uh, coronavirus outbreak. Um, she said the center, like many others, has unreported COVID-19 cases, not only placed staff and detainees at risk of contacting the virus, neglected medical complaints, and refused to test sy- symptomatic detainees, among other dangerous practices. It's just another, it's just another, way that America is showing that they don't consider people of color actual people, right? Like not counting them in COVID cases, neglecting them, treating them in inhumanely. They don't see them as people. They don't see them as human beings coming to a country for a better life. They're denying mm-hmm. them that. Like, I don't think people understand how much power the U.S. government and white supremacy has in this country when you can completely alter someone's life by putting them in a cage, by denying them basic medical needs, by denying them everything. That There is so much power behind that, but people just read it in the news and just keep on going or actively advocate for it. You know, like the hysterectomies, that's you're sterile, you're trying to end an entire race. That is sterilization. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. is extreme, but no one is talking about it. Mm-hmm. For real. And like, let's not act like these practices are not new. Like, no. The practice of stealing a human body is not new for America. Mm-hmm. The status of neglecting to care about medical concerns is not new for America. 
and the practices of hysterectomies is not new for America. Like these are continuing cycles that we're seeing that happen on different populations over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's telling is that like white people are just like, you know what? Yeah. It's pumpkin latte time at Starbucks. Like that's yep. that's where mine gonna focus on. Like these communities are getting erased. Mm-hmm. Erased. Mm-hmm. Like I've heard people say, and I think this is a common expression, I don't know, but history repeats itself. And I can't help but think that it's not necessarily repeating itself. This is just what the US is. Like yeah. this, this is just a continuation. We're not repeating anything. We're just continuing. It's just adapting to modern times and looks maybe looks a little bit different than what it did, you know, 400 years ago. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, and it's even like way closer than 400 years, you know? Right. Um, I mentioned this in another episode about like um, masterizations of, of women in Puerto Rico over 40 years. Um, and one moment I'm pulling up the actual, I want to know the years. Um, one moment. Okay. So between 1930s and the 1970s, approximately one third of the female population of Puerto Rico was sterilized, you know, and that was based from this, out of this idea of Puerto Rican women, especially poor women on the island, more melanin in your skin, the closer you are to blackness on this island, the more likely you were to be sterilized for 40 years. And this is like modern up to the seventies. Right. And like without women's knowledge and, and when this story came out, I forgot which one of you just said this, but like, it's not even shocking. It is not even shocking that this type of pattern persists. And like, it's, it's so layered too, right? Because now we're talking about we're talking about bodies of color, but now we're talking about women of color, right? And like Mm -hmm. whose um, ability to have children to continue legacies and and generations to come, like who's getting that completely taken away from them without their knowledge. And it is so, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm stuttering on my words because I'm so angry about it. You know, and it's like, that's not just another fucking headline, you know, like, I don't, I don't think I fully like processed that completely. And I actually just looked it up and there was a story from a Jamaican immigrant, right? So now we're talking about, but in that Georgia facility that under, uh, under that was sterilized. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it just hits closer to home for me. Um, And I think for a lot of like, um, people, specifically women, who come out of communities who've had a history of being sterilized, it's like, I guess what Aubrey said, it's just repeating itself, you know? I mean, not only are immigrants often held at ICE detention facilities and, you know, put through hell and treated inhumanely, even if they don't enter through an ICE detention facility or do make it out on the other side or are able to cross the border, they're often forced into labor, laborious jobs. So like in the Salinas Valley, that's 
they call it the salad bowl. That's where a lot of agriculture in California and this country gets their food from. That's there's farmland everywhere. I'm from the Salinas Valley area. Um, and so like, I know this personally and with the fires going on in California right now, and especially a month ago, a lot of farm workers still have to work. You know, we still have food on our plates because of those folks working in the farm who, you know, aren't awarded, they don't get PTO, they don't get paid sick leave, they don't get any of that. When there are fires, the only thing they, the only thing that they were given were masks. And even the labor unions are just saying like, this isn't sufficient. You can't have people working labor, labor's jobs, not only right next to a fire where you can't even breathe, but also in the middle of a respiratory pandemic. Just the fact that a lot of these folks don't have health care, a lot of these folks don't have any resources that, you know, like me as a white person, I just get automatically. And we still get food on our table. And I know a lot of folks in my community tried to rally around and do mutual aid for their families and see what what support they could offer them. And the first thing that they that they said were I just need school supplies for my kids. Mm. And that's heartbreaking because, you know, their kids don't even have the same access to schooling. They don't have computers, especially now that everyone's going virtual, they don't have Wi-Fi. There is a picture going around in the Salinas Valley of kids sitting outside of restaurants on their iPhones for Wi-Fi so that they could go to school. It's just the disparity that we see in this country is astounding and people just don't care. You know, to have Wi-Fi or to be able to have school supplies, that's something that should be given by the school. But the way our school systems are set up, as we talked about last episode, it's just, it's not, that's not how it is. It's if you live in a white, wealthy area or even a white middle-class area, even a white poor area, you are still going to be given more resources around schooling than if you live like in the Salinas Valley in a predominantly Latinx area where it's not high income, where there are parents and families working long hours feeding this country. Mm -hmm. While being terrorized by the government. Exactly. Yeah. There's definitely, I've heard of like migrant labor being used and then like, wow, um, like folks are at work, they're being an ice raid, like at their jobs, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's just further terror, you know? It's just like, it's it, like you said, it, Aubrey, it's astounding. It's astounding. It's truly astounding. Yeah. yeah, I think this pandemic has really kind of just messed everything up. And I'm also thinking how this affects like new citizens and like them one not being able to get naturalized, but also not being able to vote in this year's election, right? Like, and these communities have been tremendously affected by the Trump administration. Um, and it sucks that like, you know, they're on track to 
become citizens, be able to be a part of this process that so many people be like, do it the legal way. Mm-hmm. And there's a backlog right now in the USCIS office, um, not only because of the virus, but budget cuts from the Trump administration, um, policy changes by the Trump administration. Um, and it kind of like shuttered the USCIS office this year. And you're thinking about all those backlog cases, hundreds of thousands of citizens um, applications are pending. Um, many of them caught in like bureaucratic limbo um, with this presidential election happening and it's 28 days away. We're talking about thousands and thousands of people trying to be naturalized, be a part of this process, do it quote unquote the right way. When you say thousands and thousands, start from there again, sorry. Oh, we're talking about thousands and thousands of people trying to be naturalized, trying to do it quote unquote the right way, be a part of this democratic process and they can't even become citizens. It's like, I don't, I don't even know what to say, you know, because like you said, it's not be just because of COVID. It's not because we're in a pandemic. There are so many reasons why that even if, even when, like you were saying, you know, the people in this country, the leaders of this country, the white people in this country will say, do it the right way or do it legally, you still can't. It still is gonna take years. It's, you know, and it's people- Money. Yeah, it takes money. Very expensive. Yeah. And then you don't even think about like, okay, yeah, now you become like, let's even say those people who like made it through the cracks and became naturalized citizens, right? They mm-hmm. still need, like in certain states, you still need certain documentation just to get a voter registration card. So like you got, you came a citizen, but Rona hit and now you can't go to the DMV to get an ID. Yeah. Now you can't go to state office to get a birth certificate and get it, um, what is it called? Stamped and all that, mm-hmm. like approved. Like there's so many like things in the process that not only hinders you from like just being able to do everyday life, but also like being able to get a voter registration card. Like Georgia would not allow you to get, a, a, like to register to vote if you don't have a picture ID. Yeah. Georgia triggers me in the same way that Florida <laughs> triggers me, especially the last same. couple years. Like, whew, Georgia. Jesus. Yeah. And then you think about the populations who aren't immigrants who are native to this land who've been here before many of us have been here and their current um suppression within the u.s voting process and it's not only again because of covid right Right. like many native americans like lack access to internet um and if you think about it the census just completed what two weeks ago did Mm -hmm. not count it in the census because you know, I did the census working. Literally, if you don't answer the door when the census worker comes there, they give you a sheet with a code and you have to go online to fill that out. You think of all those native populations who are not a part of that. You also think of the ones who probably don't have standardized U.S. addresses. And so mm-hmm. how they put their address is not recognized by the federal government. So that only affects the census, but how you register to vote and what that looks like. And if you don't have internet access, sometimes they don't even have phone access. You need a phone number sometimes to complete a registration form. So there's like these continuing barriers 
that like happen. And luckily, like, you know, there's nonprofits, um, there's two nonprofits that like launched a campaign to like mobilize Native Americans to vote. Um, but this pandemic hasn't made it easy. It's kind of limited even more. Right. Yeah. While like Native communities are disproportionately like hit by coronavirus and have limited mm-hmm. access to medical care. So it's like, are you thinking about uh, registering to vote while, you know, your family member is in the hospital, while you're in the hospital, et cetera? Like, and I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, Adriana, but I believe you brought out, uh, brought up last time, like mail, uh, the mailboxes and like, um, like mail in, in Native communities. And I, I feel like you should speak a little bit more on that too, because I know that that's another way that Native communities are being disenfranchised right now. Yeah, I mean, a lot of Native communities kind of operate within their community, right? So that's where they do a lot of their working, their schooling, everything like that. Um, and sometimes the U.S. government doesn't give them an actual address. It's kind of like, this is the community and this is like a standardized thing, right? So when you're thinking about registering to vote, what do you put on your address? But then you're also thinking about, okay, this year we're doing mail-in voting. So when I'm requesting my absentee ballot, what address do I put down? And then even to mail it back out, like there's so many continuing barriers that like now it's forcing native populations to stand in line and go register to vote, which puts them even more at risk because if our president doesn't even want to wear a mask, what makes so many of these millions of Americans want to do the same thing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And not to mention like, not only does the native population have a history with the US and mailing addresses and what that means for voting by mail, but you know, if they wanna drop their ballot off in a, in a mail ballot, like those are the yeah. way, you know? And so having access to even get to a uh, drop box or even to vote in person is taxing. That it's miles, miles away. So you have to have access to a car. You have to, there's no public transportation that's going to take them. It's, it's just all set up in a way to, to disenfranchise them. Like that's how it exists. That's how it was meant Mm -hmm. to be. That's how we made it. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's all messed up. It's all messed up, honestly. Well, <laughs> when when you were talking about the census, it made me think about identity and like, um, like even within um, like within Native communities, how there is like if you're trying to identify yourself, um, there's federally recognized tribes and. Uh, Mm-hmm. tribes that are not recognized and like how um breaking apart folks identities um has has been used throughout history as like a tactic of further disenfranchising communities you know it's like there's so much power in our identities there's so much power in in claiming who you are and like I think um folks that fall on under like the title of a marginalized community or of a marginalized person, even in the middle of being disenfranchised, knowing how much power we have, like sometimes we're gonna have to, as we always have, 
you know, fight tooth and nail to get our vote counted. And not everybody is going to be able to do it. But if you are able to at least try, you know, like figure it out. Unfortunately, we got a carpool or we have to, you know, like I know I can't remember if this is even a thing. I hope they do it. But God knows, um, like Uber and Lyft arranging like yes. um, yeah. folks mm-hmm. going to the ballot or like or, you know, ballot boxes Free or rides. whatever, like mm-hmm. what are the ways, what are the creative ways that um i'm i'm thinking about like how are we overcoming so much like disenfranchisement um i i mentioned this like a while back but like when i was in the uh voter line in dc for the primary election how i was like we need to have charging stations somebody needs to have okay like they were giving out pizza granted still coronavirus but like yeah. You know, what what are the ways that we we can support communities to vote, you know? 30 days or whatever, yeah. right? It's 30 days. 20, 30 days. 28 days. 28 um, days. However, again, not a lot of states offer in-person voter registration. So there's a lot of states where if you don't register by that deadline, it's not really 28 days. It's more like 15. Right. Right. I think Marilyn touched on a good point, though, is that if you can vote, vote. Um, I think one of the, the great things and how I think of my vote is like my vote's not only for me, but it's for like the people in my family who aren't able to vote because of their status and what that looks like, or even the family members who aren't old enough to vote. Like mm-hmm. who you're voting for not only affects you, but it affects the communities you're a part of. It, it affects the families you're a part of, the friend groups you're a part of. And so like having that in your mind as well um, when voting, I think holds power, unless you just selfish as hell, which I, I think that if you support mm-hmm. it, I'm definitely I see something like at the at the top of like what um we wanted to talk about, and I want to know more because I thought that Florida uh, uh voter registrations ended today, and I see that they were extended along with Arizona, so I feel like we need to let the yeah. people know, you know. Yeah, so Florida and Arizona's uh, voter registration was supposed to end yesterday, actually. Um, so Arizona had a big case, and there's a judge who um, approved for the voter registration to be extended to the 23rd, which is great. Yes, more people get to register to vote. However, there is a chance that that can be appealed. So if you haven't registered to vote and you aren't in Arizona, go register right now. You can do it online at vote.org, um, because although it says to the 23rd, that can always change. As far as Florida goes, um, they had a little glitch with their system. You know, we love Florida <laughs> and how they operate. And so their voter registration deadline has been extended to the 7th. Okay. Yeah. That's tomorrow. Yeah. That is tomorrow. <laughs> In Florida, yes. bro. So oh. 5 p.m. So <laughs> you, uh, you have until tomorrow, 5 p.m. to register to vote in Florida. Um, yeah. yeah. Please register to vote in Florida. <laughs> Look, I know Florida is important, but let's be real here. Okay. The Trump base there is a little too strong. You know, it's just a little too strong. I have some hope, but growing up there for 15 years, I have very little at this point. It has exacerbated me. Is that how you say that word? Exacerbated? Because that's how I I feel about Florida, you know. 
Yeah. In North Carolina, your voter registration comes up on the ninth. <laughs> Look at me being an information. Inform- yeah, you are. Inform- <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know anything about voting, call Adriana. <laughs> it's honestly really me. important. Don't it's really me. important <laughs> to continue to remind people. We'll, we'll try not to call you, but we are going to use your brain and, and your jaw, your current uh, position uh, as, as a tool. Um, yeah. But when Got I it. saw yesterday that like florida voter registration had ended this wave of like sadness and low-key disappointment in myself um kind of hit me because i do know so many people in florida um and um it just now hearing that it's extended it's like okay i have one day to reach out to people have you hit up your let's talk about it again have you hit up your mama your uncle your brother your cousin your sister you know whoever it is your friend your best friend your best friend's mama whoever it is yes call right 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 exactly exactly so i feel like i've been i have a chance of redemption you know yes yeah so i think marilyn is saying what we all need to do text family friends loved ones and I'm doing it right now ask them if they register to vote they register to vote help them point them to vote.org but whatever you do do not give Trump power to have another four years in office or I'm I'm leaving y'all I'm sorry I don't know where I'm going someone will take me in <laughs> I would say me but, but <laughs> I'm in the states you are in the states <laughs> Um, but thank you so much you all for joining us tonight and uh, we hope you'll join us next week for another episode of bitching at 9 30 bye thank you.